Hello, friend. Welcome to the Happy Family Club. We're delighted to have you join us. Our mission is to help you have a happier, stronger family. We do that by bringing you the world's greatest experts in family, marriage, parenting, and relationships. We interview them to discover their secrets, their strategies, their techniques, and bring them to you so that you can cherry pick exactly what you need right now to have more success and more joy in your family. And if you enjoyed this interview, we encourage you to share it with your friends and your family and come on to the happyfamilyclub.com and see if you can find more information that's going to help you and your family be happier. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the interview. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Happy Family Club podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. Margie and I feel like we have an amazing episode for you in our guest. He is, um, well, we've had a chance to visit with him a bit here as we started off and off, off camera. And what an incredible individual this is. So I'd love to introduce you or have Margie introduce you to Russ DeVos. <laughs> Russ DeVos, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. We're so happy you're here. Yeah. I, I love that um, you, your mission basically is to help people having challenges, parents, especially with troubled teens. And the teen challenge that you've been focusing on lately is just amazing. Just helps those parents adjust when their children come home from that and so that they can improve their life. That's mm -hmm. so great. But he, Russ is the proud husband of Heather and mm -hmm. Sam, Lily, and Simon. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Good, yeah. awesome, former pastor, award-winning salesman. I think you got certified as a <laughs> life, certified life coach with Maxwell, John Maxwell, right? Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's in the past. He's helped a lot of men move forward and um, win at home and in the things that matter most. But now he's focused more on parents and families. So yeah. we're we're so happy that you're here and ready to share with us all your great wealth of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> They and do our best, yeah. You know, and one of the things I love um, about Russ that you guys should know is, you know, sometimes we meet people and they're like, they seem like they had a charmed life from day one. And you think, oh, that's amazing. I could never be like that person. I mean, I'm glad to look at him. It's cool to see and, you know, and aspire to that. But that's just not, I mean, I have such a shattered, broken past and I could never be like that. Well, without getting into too many details, I'll let Russ show whatever story he wants. But I know for a fact that that Russ is human, which I love. And he has gone through some rocky things. And by the grace of God and through his own hard work and the love of his family and others, you know, he has really transformed his life. And I, I actually, before we even started this interview, and I don't even know where it's going to go, but before I started this interview, I thought, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to title this interview The Rise of the Phoenix because I just <laughs> love your story Russ uh -huh. and the way that you have come and transformed your life is just absolutely beautiful. So thank you for being here. Thank you for changing your life and blessing so many other people's lives. And it we gives all of us hope. Really. I know exactly. <laughs> There's hope for each one of us. Cuz no, not to tell any secrets, but you know, I'm sort of a broken, messed up guy too. So I really like that <laughs> there's hope, right? It's fabulous. Margie's not. Margie is one of those charmed people. Yeah. Perfect for me. No. Like Mary Poppins, practically perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Russ, thank you. Welcome. I, I would love to um I'd love to dive in and hear your wisdom on what it takes to have really a happy family. But before that, can you tell us a little bit about your story and your background? I mean, how did you get 
because because your your process i mean you know sales guy pastor um struggles and then life coach for men and now focusing with teens mm -hmm. parents like that what an amazing journey so can you walk us through that to help us understand how you got to where you're at right now yeah the journey right the journey, journey. yeah let's hear uh, it and i you know if i get emotional you'll have to forgive me because telling my story it really even at this moment i feel it um so give me a second <laughs> i was blessed to be raised with a wonderful mom and dad i will say it was a very religious home very strict uh very protected <laughs> and um but so many blessings and the older i get the more i realize how blessed i was but um it was kind of a charmed life to be honest with you uh i by god's grace i thrived in most everything i did i i was a wrestler and uh, my senior year of high school i won the state title uh in oregon at 191 pounds so i pretty much had my ticket punched to anywhere I wanted to go. You know, I had offers from Stanford, West Point, um, all sorts of places to wrestle. I didn't want to wrestle. So I, I took a year off. I ended up going to Liberty University and then I wrestled the second year that I was there on mm -hmm. scholarship. Um, I was cutting so much weight, I just decided that was enough of that. 13 pounds a week I was cutting. So ended up going to Bible school. I was born in Canada, up in a little town called Three Hills, Alberta, Canada. So uh, when ended up going to a tiny little Bible college up there. It's a place my mom and dad both had graduated from. And I had sworn that I would never go into ministry. That was a non-negotiable. My dad was a pastor. I had watched uh, multiple pastors fail morally while my dad was an assistant i'd watched the men that he worked with uh fail and fail in grotesque ways to be honest yeah. with you it's really really uh, so i had sworn i will never be a pastor i will never be in ministry i wanted to be a politician a, a u.s senator from the state of oregon nice but i ended up uh you know without getting into too many details god clearly called me in the ministry Mm. I spent two years on the mission field in uh, traveling with a director of a mission organization. And then I spent a year in India, uh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and then finally in Israel. And um, it was just phenomenal, but came home not knowing what I was going to do, uh, thinking I would be on, on the mission field long term. Did not happen. But long story short, I ended up um, going into ministry, just as I said, I never would. I'd married my wife, Heather. I was almost 30 when I got married. So it was a lot of years of singleness and then got married with a lot of dreams of what a family would look like and how our marriage, yeah. it didn't work that way. Our marriage was a nightmare right from the beginning. In fact, oh. our wedding day was a nightmare. Uh, the rehearsal dinner was a nightmare. I mean, our honeymoon, I almost, I felt like I, I, I can't do this. A month in, we were ready to get divorced. I mean, it was awful. Wow. And uh, in all the midst of that, I ended up going into ministry, which is so crazy. <laughs> and um, I was a junior high pastor at a four-square church in Bend, Oregon, uh, initially. And um, successful. I just, uh, we watched growth. Everything I did grew. Mm. 
But underneath all of the growth was was character issues that I had mm-hmm. had my whole life, but I had suppressed them. I had hidden them. Um, and success has a way of revealing you. <laughs> it's a blessing, but it's also, the, you know, the, the weight of success is very, very heavy and it will, it will crack your foundation if it's not solid. Yeah. And pride is a, is a killer. And I, I allowed pride to, to, to really grow in my heart as success uh, continued. And um, in the first church I was in, as a, a youth pastor, then I was moved up into the adult world and was being groomed to take over the church. It was a very large four-square church. Unbeknownst to many of the people there, I, w- I had started a, a relationship with a woman on staff there, and uh, thankfully it did not become adulterous, but it was certainly inappropriate. Yeah. And um, I knew if I, if I don't get out of here, it will be adulterous and it will it will be disastrous. So I left that church and thought I had dealt with everything, but the roots hadn't been yanked. Yeah. So about eight months eight months later, my wife and I planted our own church, and it grew from seventeen people to almost two thousand people in three years. It just exploded. That's so incredible. It was it was it was an unbelievable experience, you guys. I, I can't even tell you. It was. It was like living in the book of Acts. I mean, it was literally like New Testament. It was it was crazy. But in the midst of that, three years in, right almost to the day, um, because of unyanked roots and because mm-hmm. of discontentment, entitlement, all sorts of pride-based character issues, I got involved with another woman. And again, it was, Thank God he protected me. Again, it was not adulterous. In fact, it, it was nipped very quickly. Yeah. Uh, God uncovered it. He just, he allowed me to be caught by, mm. uh, I mean, it, the story is, it's just hard even to tell it. It's 16 years ago now, but it's still hard to tell the story. But it, it, it ministry was over. Yeah. And um, I preached one Sunday morning. I walked off the stage and I looked at the people from the side of the stage. I knew this would be the last time I ever see these people. Wow. And it was. And um, I performed communion and walked off the stage. People were singing and doing business with God. And that was the last time I ever saw them. Mm. The The next day, my job was done. My marriage was almost over. I mean, it all broke. Yeah, and we ended up then moving from Bend to Seattle to start over, really, to start our whole <laughs> And um, that was a nightmare also. The church we went to to start over was worse than the one we, we had created, the mess we created in it for two years. I was, I was an angry, angry, angry man. Yeah. Angry God. I mean, I had my middle fingers up at God. Uh, it was awful. My Bible that I had spent hours every weekend was was not my friend anymore. I, I, I didn't open my Bible. I was just, I was a mess. And yeah. um, here's, here's the thing that is so extraordinary about that. I had taught about God's grace with authority and with conviction. 
Mm-hmm. But I came to find out I did really I didn't really know what grace was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grace is God's unmerited, unearned favor. <laughs> and I somehow thought that grace was what I earned because I was a good guy and a great pastor and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And I, I spent two years in sales. I, I'd never done anything else but ministry. So I, I went on to uh, monster.com and looked at what jobs I could possibly get in Seattle, you know, and, and it was computer stuff, which I didn't know, even hardly know how to turn on a computer, much less install yeah. computers. And the other was a home improvement company that they would send people into homes trying to sell windows. Yeah. And I got a job selling windows. Mm-hmm. And th- this is the irony of it all. For two years, I drove from appointment to appointment, screaming, yelling, cursing at God in my car. Wow. Mm-hmm. Bitter, angry, blaming my wife, blaming God, blaming the elders of the church, blaming my mom, bl- blaming everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing that God did was make me number one in the company, break every sales record possible, made more money than I've ever seen in my life, allow us to travel all over the place as a family. I mean, it was, and when those two years were done and I, I really came out, started to come out of that, I realized that's what grace is yeah i did i deserved lightning through the roof of my car i deserved death and he instead of that he he gave me blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing and our family was so privileged in so many ways and i just realized okay now i think i know what grace is yeah the goodness of god was so extraordinary during that time but Having said that, can I, can I pause you there just a minute? Yeah, I want to I want to ask something in there. Um, you know, Russ, it's a rare. Um, it's it's not as rare as we think sometimes, but it's it's unusual for someone, as the scriptures say, to come to themselves, right? <laughs> yes. And and you know, you're describing this really incredible story, not a story, experience. experience. And, and somewhere along the line, there was some, there had to have been some precipitating event that caused you to go, okay, wait a minute. And, and I know you're talking about grace and you, you realize these blessings, but I just wonder what gave you the fortitude and the courage to start stepping out of that, that hatred and that anger and that frustration, right? I, I'd love to, there's, there's a piece yeah. there where you switched and I'd love to hear about that real quick. And I, you know, as you're asking that question, I'm not honestly sure other than I think it was what I've realized over the last 16 years of work is, and the story is going to get a lot worse before it gets better, by the way, (laughs) um, is that I lived my life in a fog of of, of so much lack of self-awareness. I didn't know myself. I didn't know I was, some of it was probably pride. Some of it was probably that we didn't communicate about emotions or anything of any depth in my home, you know, growing up. So I, I surely don't hold that against my parents. We just, it just wasn't the way it worked. Sure. You know, you, you, we were, we were performance driven. Yeah. We performed. I got, all of us got good grades. We were some of the best athletes in the school. We were on the, you know, rotary club student of the month all the all the stuff we had all the the awards and the badges but we didn't really talk about the heart and so 
I think I didn't really know my heart. I didn't know my own weaknesses. And I think over that course of two years, it was really right around two years, the fog started to lift a little mm. bit. And it wasn't by any means fully lifted. That's been a process that goes on to this day. But um, yeah. I think I started to, to, first of all, realize I can't keep blaming everybody else. I, I, I've been blaming everybody and, and so angry at God. And, and uh, I think I just saw all of his kind. Of, I think it was just an overwhelming sense of why does he keep blessing me when I keep cursing him? Yeah. And I think there was just a point where I just realized, wow, because I did pick up my Bible again. I started pursuing a relationship with God again. And I know the relationship was there during those two years. It was just a very, very odd, strained wrestling yeah. with God that was just uh, intense, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but I think it was just a realization. I remember thinking, so that's what grace is. Yeah. And I think I just, uh, there was a gratitude that settled into my heart that displaced a lot of the ingratitude and the discontentment and the, the uh, blaming and it, it, there was a process where I just started, my heart started turning again. And, and I think it was just, you know, Romans 2 verse 4 says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's honestly, I, I haven't actually ever put those two together until just now. Yeah. I think that's probably the answer to your question. I think it was the kindness of God yeah. that started to turn my heart when I realized he's been nothing but good and I've been nothing but awful yeah. and he just keeps being kind. And I just thought, Oh my word. And I, I think that's probably what was happening. That's amazing. So I, I just want to say for the thousands of people's lives you've touched, thank you for responding to that kindness of God mm -hmm. and turning in a sense to gratitude. You know, I, I see two things at play here, Russ. I mean, you, God definitely was just pouring out, stuff on top of you yep. and and if the truth be told at least in my experience and i've been a bishop in my church and i've ministered with thousands of people and i've 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 coached over thirty thousand entrepreneurs across the world like I, i've dealt with a lot of people right yeah wow and, and here's my here's my experience my experience is god is always pouring out his love onto his children but they don't usually recognize it. Mm -hmm. And you had the courage after a couple of years to recognize it and start mm -hmm. your prodigal journey back. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so, so kudos to you. I think that's awesome. And I think that if anyone's listening to this, like that sense of humility and gratitude and opening your eyes and just seeing, gosh, is God doing something for me? And what is it? I think it's so powerful. That kindness turns the heart, as you say. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey there, it's Margie. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Yeah, I hope you know that you can go to thehappyfamilyclub.com and see many other interviews and get a whole bunch of other resources, materials, free things, paid things, all kinds of stuff. There's an entire membership there where you get exclusive access to all of our best tools and resources. Our mission is to bring you the world's best resources and insights from the world's best experts so that you can have a happier family and have more joy. So go check it out, thehappyfamilyclub.com. Now, let's get back to the interview.
So, so you said the story gets worse before it gets better. So <laughs> uh, you piqued my interest, man. Okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you want me to just pick up where we left off? Let's go. Yeah. Okay. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. The work in our hearts is not a fast, quick thing. I, I found it. Yeah. You know, we all want God to change us a lot quicker than he does. And we want to grow faster than we do. And, yeah. um, for me, it has not been, it, it has been such, the roots of things are so deep that to pull those and to really uh, clean out the heart is, is really quite a process. So one of the things that marked, when, when I, <laughs> temptation, not honoring my marriage vows, as First Timothy chapter two says, you know, being the husband of one wife mm -hmm. um, as a as a as a qualification for a leader or an elder um, in the church, I was not the husband of one wife. My mind was not committed, and my heart was not committed to one woman. I, I in some of the counseling that I went through afterwards, they they basic one of the ladies counselors said, Russ, you live as if you don't have a wedding ring on. Wow. And I tell you that just what that just smote me when I heard that. Yeah. So the the you know this is one of the principles that I've learned over the course of this journey is that some of us are very stiff-necked and we have to learn by a lot of pain. It takes a sledgehammer yeah. between the eyeballs to get us to change. Yeah. And with the unfaithfulness to my wife issue and the husband of one wife the fallout of my unfaithfulness was so dramatic and so painful and the loss was so great that by God's grace for the last 16 years, there's been a brick wall around our marriage. I mean, yeah. that issue um, really never has surfaced again. You know, there's always you have to be on guard and i'll tell people i'll never say that i'll never be unfaithful again because the moment i do that's setting me up yeah. and the prideful statement that just sets me up but that issue by god's grace has been dealt with yeah what i then experienced was intense amounts of anger mm. mm -hmm. And though I was experiencing the kindness of God, I, I realized how I, I've come to realize and I was I began to work through the issue, the second major issue that derailed me even as a pastor, and that was unchecked anger. Wow. Yeah. And I thought it was righteous anger, you know, how it was easy to justify it. Righteous what, indignation. What, what, yeah. We, we all want to see ourselves as Christ with the whip in the uh, temple square, right? That's exactly right. I <laughs> it's know. like, oh, this is great. I'm justified in it. Like, oh, dang yeah. it. Nope. <laughs> but that has been the journey. That is that has been the major journey. And so to, to long story short, though after two years I began to build my relationship with, with God again, it was another six years of just really stumbling around in the dark, deep yeah. depression, almost despair. Uh, what we had left in Bend was so beautiful and the yeah. shipwreck was just so awful. I, I had every, I, I remember not really knowing anything about PTSD, but my wife was talking about it 
And I looked up the definition of PTSD and every trait there was, was me. It was you. Yeah. And this failure, cause I had up to 39 years old when all this blew up really had the keys to the city. I mean, yeah. God had given me so much favor and so much trust with people. Um, I could do almost anything I wanted. Mm. Uh, it was extraordinary. And that literally went away in, in, in a moment. Yeah. Our choices are huge. Our choices are huge. What we work all of our lifetime to gain, we can lose in a moment when our character isn't right. You know, John Maxwell said it. He said, Charisma will get you in the door, but character will keep you in the room. Yeah. And I, that is one of the key statements of my whole life. There's so many people with charisma, lots of energy. Mm-hmm. They can draw you to them by their personality, but when you spend time with them, you realize they got a lot of charisma, not so much character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, um, the Lord, the Lord began to say, you know, began to prompt me that I'm going to, I'm going to refine your character. You cannot yeah. be an angry man. You cannot be angry. I will not use you if you are an angry man. And I damaged all three of my relationships with my kids so desperately and so badly. My wife, uh, I'll just say this at two in 2015, it had been eight years of just mucking around in darkness. Yeah. A statement by a, a salesman friend of mine that he used to close deals. And I thought it was so corny, but it, it hammered me. It was simply this nothing changes unless something changes. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. simple, but it's, it's so simple. I, it was the catalyst in my life. I remember on in November of 2015, sitting on our porch swing thinking, something has to change. Our marriage was on the ragged edge. I, I didn't have almost any relationship with my children. They didn't want to be around me. And it was interesting because two days after that moment, I got angry at my daughter for disrespecting my wife and I grabbed her by the neck and pushed her up against the wall. My daughter, she was a junior in high school. And that, that was over the line with my anger. Yeah. And my wife asked me to leave and that started the first of four marital separations that we've experienced for over, oh. over two years worth of time separated. Yeah. And, uh, not only four marital separations, but two times in jail. I've been in jail twice because of anger. Yeah. And I could justify each one and say why it wasn't really my fault and all the rest. But <laughs> the second yeah. time I was in, in, in jail in the, in the county detention center it's just it's so funny i've got three guys on cots or we had two bunk beds and the other three guys are all sleeping off heavy drug you know drugs and petty crime and whatever and i'm sitting in there and i'm wide awake two in the morning and i'm pacing in the cell and doing business with god and i just i heard his voice he said russ i want to use you but i won't use you while you're angry wow and it was a turning point for me and another turning point. I mean, there's so many different moments. Yeah. Where, and I realized uh, I can't keep justifying my anger as righteous. It wasn't righteous. It was damaging. It was abusive. It was very deeply controlling. It was ugly. And um, so the journey to get control over my anger uh, was already in process, but it was accelerated, accelerated yeah. immensely. Sure. 
my jail time. And uh, anyway, um, so that was the second major, major fire, if you will, that God used to burn off the, the dross yeah. <laughs> in my life. Meanwhile, all the while that uh, we were in this separation, right towards the end of these different separations, our youngest son, who we had struggled with since he was two. Yeah. We saw different things in him since he was a tiny, tiny child, but he was, he was a savant violin player. Mm. Wow. Spectacular violin player. Mm. But very difficult getting along with anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, in his own brokenness, he began to use drugs, mm -hmm. which was a nightmare for me. I never dreamed I'd be a father of, of a child who used drugs. I just, it just was one of the deep fears that I had. Yeah. And his junior year, we had tried everything. We had tried everything. I had made every kind of chart you can imagine. I had, we had tried every reward and consequence system you can imagine, everything. Yeah. And it just didn't, it just, we were at our wit's end. Our marriage was, again, on a ragged edge. We could hardly agree on how to parent him. And it was at that point that we sent him, finally, after two years of wrestling with it, to Teen Challenge in Morrow, Arkansas, outside of Fayetteville. Yeah. And that started a whole nother journey. <laughs> um and I mean, the details there, I can bullet point them for you if you'd like. But what happened at that point was, again, God's grace. A class started for parents. It was the first of its kind. It was, it was led by folks from a church in Dallas, Texas, mm -hmm. who, believe it or not, the founders of this course called Prodigal were both plastic surgeons very successful world renowned who both had sons who were prodigal, prodigal. Mm -hmm. yeah and so one of them uh and together really but but led by one had put together a curriculum 20 weeks on uh, that that took parents who were in that same chaos right through a 20-week course of course mm -hmm. and teen challenge had gotten a hold of the these guys and asked would you do something like this for a beta group of our parents yeah um, via via zoom and this is before covid yeah and, um, we happened to be one of four parents that got to be part of that wow and it was literally the most life-changing 20 weeks of my whole adult life mm. and our marriage was on week five of that course our marriage was going one direction or another. We, it was, it, cause it was, it confronts issues Confront stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was so angry on week five with my wife for exposing me in front of the whole group in a pretty <laughs> dramatic way. And I sat quietly, didn't say a word, but I had to make a decision that week. Was I going to submit to what had just happened and, and, and move forward? Or was I going to resist it out of pride? Yeah. And, and say, I won't do, I won't put up with this anymore. You know, I'm too good for this or whatever the pride says, you know. And again, by by God's help, I, I veered towards this is the discipline of God in my life. Mm -hmm. Continuing to root out the ugly because he, he wants to use us. 
he wants, he to, wants, use he wants yeah. to use it. And so that was a, a hinge. And the next 15 weeks of that course were just life-changing. Oh, we came out of that with uh, a marriage that was beginning to shift and change and a home now that had a plan and parents who were united. That yeah. was huge. And a dad who was beginning to deal with his anger in a significant way. Mm-hmm. And for our son to leave that program and come back to disunified parents, an angry dad, no boundaries, no consequences, no plan, no strategy, it it would have been disastrous. Now, yeah. having said that, even having everything right, becoming right, becoming healthy in the home doesn't mean that the prodigal is is all about that. Yeah. Yeah. He came home and he knew he could see a difference in us. He saw that we were united for the first time because he could always divide us. That was, yeah. his, that was his superpower, dividing mom and dad. <laughs> and he knew he couldn't do it. We were deadly serious. We had a very clear plan with clear boundaries, clear consequences. He knew we were deadly serious about it. We were not going to have chaos in our home again. Yeah. And he chose not long after he came home, he turned 18 and he chose to leave our home because he would not live by the rules and boundaries that we'd set up. And so it was a a very cordial parting. Mm -hmm. And he he moved to Chicago and dove into a world that uh, was as ugly as you can imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then he came back home when COVID hit and we hadn't adequately prepared for him to come home. It's kind of a quick fly you home because of COVID and and um we had to reinstate our plan and as a result of it, I'll just fast forward through it to kind of where we are today. He began to secretly we thought he was going to work at Costco every day. Mm-hmm. I received a text Tuesday morning uh, on a Tuesday morning with a video of my son snorting cocaine off of his Costco name tag. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I, I just literally, I was numb. I, I had no idea what to do. Thankfully it was early in the morning when I got the text, somebody had screenshotted it off of TikTok or, or Snapchat or something, and they sent it to me. And we had all day to work through this to be just to become, you know, to be unified as a couple. We got a drug test when he came home. We asked him to take the drug test. It, he wouldn't take it for almost two hours. But we sat on the couch in silence, said nobody's going to bed, nobody's doing anything until this drug test. It came back positive for three different things. And at 1030 at night, with a, in a downpouring rain, he packed his bags and left the house. Wow. And that started, we didn't realize it, but that started two plus years of addiction to fentanyl. Wow. And we are now... He graduated a week ago Sunday from his rehab. He's <laughs> nine months, nine months sober. It's he's 22 now, yeah. and he is pursuing a life of sobriety, um, building quietly, building a relationship with Jesus, and 
it's we're still in the battle this is not over oh yeah and so that's kind of where we're at now uh, my wife and i are doing better than we've ever done <laughs> but the process of walking with this through our son uh walking through this with our son um after the first season of that 20-week course the next season we became co-leaders yeah <laughs> the third season we became leaders <laughs> and then we just finished season number 10. <laughs> amazing wow. I know. And it's God four, is using you now. <laughs> oh my goodness, four plus years and worked with hundreds and hundreds of parents. And so here's how my coaching fits into it. I was only coaching men. And so a lot of the, the men of, in these classes became my clients uh, yeah. outside of Prodigal. Outside of it, yeah. But it has become very clear that the need for coaches, for parents who are walking through this is so great mm -hmm. that um, I've shifted to um, coaching families now, husbands and wives, through a 16-week coaching program that I've created called Lifeline. Lifeline. Mm. And it walks people right straight through week one, where does your hope have to be anchored? To week 16, there's a new sheriff in town <laughs> taking back leadership <laughs> to your home and um, everything in between. And so, you guys, that's kind of bringing us right okay. to, to, to this moment. That's, hey, that's see, I knew, I knew the title of this was The Phoenix Rising. I mean, that is, this is like, it's incredible on multiple different accounts. Um, you know what? You, you shared with us some really uh, personal and very private and very powerful things. And um, I am just overwhelmed by your generosity and transparency. And I think that it's a really, um, it's amazing thing when you get that humble, God will bless you. And, and I hope that anyone listening to this, that's holding on to that anger or that pride or that fear of being exposed I hope that they see in you, Russ, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be open. And in fact, mm -hmm. that that gratitude, that vulnerability, that openness is a is the path back mm -hmm. because it allows you to start from the beginning and to get the help you need and to get the support you need. So I want to talk. So so first of all, thank you very much. That was um Incredible journey. <laughs> it was absolutely an incredible journey. And I love that you're still mm -hmm. you're still on it. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to say one other thing that I think is amazing, and that is um I'm astonished at the resilience of you and your wife and your son. I don't know the story of your other two, but certainly the you know, the three, those three that you've highlighted there, your resilience to not give up. Um, I, I have loved ones who have Mm -hmm. Ended their life with drug overdose. I've mm -hmm. seen people check out emotionally and mentally and just literally disappear. Um, you know, to this day, not to be heard of again. Yep. And and you guys, um, you guys stuck. It's really it's incredible. Well, and I love how you have set the personal example for your son of that this journey. And so yeah. now he has a tangible example to follow of of how to overcome those negative character traits, how to create a relationship with God so he can yeah. afford in his life. Yeah. It's awesome. 
Can so I comment on that real quick? Yeah, yeah, please. You guys, there is a reason. Nothing is an accident in our lives. That's one thing that I've really come to find out. When we were married, the day we were married, we stood in front of 250 people during the reception. <laughs> and off the cuff, after we'd already said our vows, we'd already done that in, in, the, in the wedding ceremony, I, I turned to all the people and I, and I put my arm around my wife. I looked at her and then I looked out at the people and I said, I promise all of you before God. And I'd already said my vows, but yeah. I said to them, I will never divorce this woman. Wow. I have no idea why. Well, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will tell you, my vows at that point didn't i didn't understand the power of the vows and the, and the sacredness of the vows but yeah. for me that statement in that reception hall that was my vow yeah and it has haunted me <laughs> all these years and i just realized i made a i made a promise to all those people not even you know it i made a covenant before god that wasn't as powerful as hasn't been as powerful frankly it is now, but it yeah. hasn't been all these years as powerful as that statement that I made in front of the people. Mm. Yeah. And I just said, I can't go back on that. Mm -hmm. I've got to keep that promise. There was a second thing, a book that I read. It was by uh, a Christian counselor. He was an old statesman, been around for years. I can't even remember his name now. But I remember reading in, in a book, and this is the power of a statement to stick in your mind as a, as a, a marker. He said, well, after all the years of coaching and of counseling couples, I've come to see that many of them give up right before the breakthrough. Wow. And yeah. he gave, he, he made the statement. I never had realized that physically this is actually true. It's always the darkest right before the dawn. That is physically the case. I didn't realize it until reading that statement. It yeah. literally is the darkest right before the dawn. Yeah. They're, they're, they're literally two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I just thought, I will not be another one of those couples. Nice. Where we do, we go through all this, this garbage, all this fighting, all of this struggle, all of this test, all of it. And then we just chuck it right before the dawn. Yeah. Right. And I just said, I won't be one of those. And my wife is just stubborn, stubborn, stubborn also. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a sacred stubbornness. Sacred yes. stubborn, yes. And so we just have determined. And the, the third thing was we, we have had so many people tell us, we're watching your marriage. Yeah. And the fact that you are still together has given us the courage to stick it out ourselves. Yeah. And you guys, when you hear those kind of things, you just, it, it has been super glue for mm. us. Nice. I mean, we're just realizing our marriage is so much bigger than us. It's not just about our happiness. It is a testimony and a testament to God's power, God's amazing grace in a life. And it's it's broadcasted way beyond just my wife and I, even way beyond our children, which I think have been so blessed to watch us walk through this. Yeah, I, I mean they have had they have the battle scars. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, 
It hasn't been because we're so amazing. It, there have been things that God has specifically and divinely placed in our lives that are kind of the, the guardrails, if you will, to keep us from going over the cliff. I have thought about leaving hundreds of times. Yeah. In my weak moments, I just say, I can't take this anymore. I just can't stand this anymore. This is too much. You know, and then that you start, well, I deserve this and I deserve that and I deserve better this and deserve, deserve, deserve. That word is, you got to get rid of that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that, I just wanted to comment on that because it, I just, again, see the grace of God in, in placing these moments in our lives that have truly been like guardrails for us so that we don't go over the cliff. So can you talk a little bit about some of those either guardrails or principles? Because, you know, you, you've got a, you've got a great marriage now and, you know, your, your son is pulling through and you're still in the fight with him and, and letting God do his business there. Yep. And, you know, so you're in, you're in the, you're in the thick of these things. I wonder if you have some principles and then we're going to talk about some actions, but some overarching principles, one or two, that you mm -hmm. see are really impactful for you to keep you at, to get you where you're at now and then to hold you there. So what would you say to couples that are struggling and are in you know, parents of, of teens or children of any age really that are struggling with this stuff? How yeah. do you get to where you're at now? I'm going to, I'm going to take that in two sections. Beautiful. Couples who are struggling. Yeah. There was a point in my, in our marriage where I realized I'm not responsible for my wife. Mm. I was, you know, the word codependency is, is one that is, you know, kind of tossed around in counseling circles, but codependency essentially means that I'm dependent on somebody else's view of me for my own value. Yeah. And that I'm, I'm dependent upon their treatment of me, their view of me for me to feel valuable. I was so codependent on my wife for so long. Mm -hmm. I needed her to affirm me, to think I was the greatest thing in the world, um, all of that. And it was such a crippling thing for me. Encouragement is phenomenal. <laughs> Support is wonderful. All these things are very healthy. But if it becomes your source of value, people are people are people change. People are fickle. People are human. I've got to get my value from a higher source. And there was a point where I finally realized, and I think honestly, the separations were what began to do it for me. Because when I was separated from my wife, it was extraordinarily painful. On Christmas Day, my my I think it was the second separation, um, my wife was at home with our kids and I was in my apartment. <laughs> and I received a, an email with about... 40 some odd bullet points of all the things my kids didn't like about me. Oh my goodness. Merry wow. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And I, I read that and I'm telling you, it was like a dagger to the heart. It was just, it was awful. I still have it to this day because I see it as a, I was able to somehow by again, God's help, see it as a bullet pointed list of the areas I needed to go to work. Yeah. And so I kept it as kind of my to-do list. Mm -hmm. And um, and so here's my point. If you ask a couple, how many people does it, how many people have to change to change a marriage? Many people will say what? Both of them. Both, yes. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I, when they say that, I try to gently but respectfully uh, but strongly say no. Yeah. One person. One. It does not take both people to change to change a marriage. It takes one person. If one person changes one percent, that whole marriage changes by one percent. Yeah. And so I, I came to understand that principle and realized I can't change my wife, but I can change me. Yeah. And I, the more I try to control my wife, change my wife, have all these expectations for my wife, it just ends in incredible frustration. And it creates all sorts of conflict. And, you know, one of the things we, we teach in, in our the Lifeline course is that expectations are often just a setup for frustration. And they're also a catalyst for a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. A lot of anger flows out of unmet expectations that we need to just drop those expectations in large part. That's a whole nother conversation. But so that was very important for me to just, it was kind of, I got sequestered away with God and just said, let's work together, you and I. And part of that, the separations really caused me to pull into my relationship with God and really, um, I think I, 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 I began to know God in a way I never had before because I was absent from those who I was so dependent on for my value. Well, mm-hmm. they weren't even, they were in another house and I couldn't even see them. And mm-hmm. so I just began to work on myself. And I'll tell you, that's life changing. When a dad, especially in a man, a man and a father has so much influence in a home, not that the mother doesn't, she sure does, but yeah. the absence of a dad or the absence of a dad, his, Lack of presence has a huge place. Yeah, that's right. Um, And so I just realized I can't control my kids. I can't control my wife, but I can control my journey to growth. And so I just began, I I hired a coach. You guys, this is one of the reasons why I'm such a big believer in coaches. My first coach that I hired, I looked across the, the, the horizon of my life. This is November of 2015. And literally every area of my life was a mess. Except oh. making a lot of money. And this yeah. is true of a lot of men. They can make money hand over fist, but they can't do anything else. They're out of shape physically. Their marriage is a mess. Their kids are a mess. And that was me to the detail. Yeah. And I, I said, which area do I need to start working on first? Because you can really only start one place and focus there and then move. Right. And I realized I was, I was heavily overweight, mm-hmm. traveling in these sales, McDonald's, traveling from, you know, a traveling sales guy. McDonald's, Wendy's, all the junk food, and I was just a mess. So I hired a coach to help me lose weight, and I lost 33 pounds in seven weeks. That's awesome. (laughs) And it it was so dramatic, and the change was so instant almost. I mean, I stopped snoring. I was sleeping. I was uh, My whole life changed. And I realized I can't tackle all these other areas because I can't even sleep well because I'm just so overweight. Yeah. And when you're lacking sleep, it affects every other area of your life. So yeah. that I saw the dramatic changes that a coach made and I paid a good chunk. I paid almost $2,500 for that seven weeks. Yeah. It was the best money I've ever, probably ever spent, but it showed me, Oh my word, what people can do when they have somebody who believes in them, who supports them, holds them accountable, trains and, and is a contact point. Um, and then I, I hired another coach to start helping me with my anger. Mm-hmm. And he was a, just a little, a little, uh, little guy named Elijah. And he was a former Marine and, uh, just 
a good guy and he and I started working through anger issues yeah. and there was a major breakthrough that started to happen there as I began to re rewire and renew my mind. Hey there, it's Margie. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Yeah, I hope you know that you can go to thehappyfamilyclub.com and see many other interviews and get a whole bunch of other resources, materials, free things, paid things, all kinds of stuff. There's an entire membership there where you get exclusive access to all of our best tools and resources. Our mission is to bring you the world's best resources and insights from the world's best experts so that you can have a happier family and have more joy. So go check it out, thehappyfamilyclub.com. Now, let's get back to the interview. You know, Romans 12 verse 2 says that you're transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm. It's not by the, the adjustment of your behavior. It's by the renewal of your mind. All of our behaviors flow out of our beliefs and our thoughts. So when you get the, get the mind right, the behaviors take care of themselves. <laughs> and so I started getting my mind right. And that I, I realized my mind was just a big garbage dump for every kind of ugly, hateful, dark thing about my children, my wife. I had such awful thoughts. And yeah. I wasn't even aware of some of them until I did what is called a brain dump. And I yeah. dumped out about 32, is a 32 different thoughts that I had about my children. Wow. And it was the ugliest list you've ever seen. Mm. It was uncensored. I was nobody else around. I was in a coffee shop by myself after a coaching session with Elijah. He had asked me the question, if you saw, because I was telling him how frustrated I was with my kids and how they were such, you know, blah, 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 and yeah. out of control and disrespectful and blah, blah. And he said, if you saw your kids as your employees, would that change the way you treat them? And yeah. I sat for a moment and I thought, it sure would. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would treat them very different if they were my employees. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, that stimulated a whole line of thought that I went away from that coaching session and I said, how do I think of my child? How do you see them? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I took a notebook and on the left hand side of the page, I wrote down uncensored. I just opened up my cranium and dumped every thought I could think of. And it was 32 and I, I stood back and I looked at that list after I'd finished, I couldn't think of anything else. And I thought, no wonder my kids can't stand me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause they're gonna, they, they, I mean, we all know children feel that from you, whatever your they thoughts do. are, they feel it, they sense it, it shows up in all the, your communications body and your tone language. of voice and your body yeah. language. It does. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, if you had 32, uh, wow. And what I realized was now I understand why I'm so angry. Yeah. Because it's these thoughts who are driving that is driving my emotion of anger. Right. It's driving me. Right. So what I did then was I did what is called a turnaround. Mm -hmm. On the right hand side of the page, I went sentence for sentence. And I, I wrote the truth as as looking through God's eyes at my children. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You guys, here's the powerful thing about this exercise. I call it the brain dump. I stood back and I had two lists sitting in front of me at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was at a crossroads. I had to make a choice. I got to make a choice. And I realized for the first time I can live off the left list, which I have been for much of my adult life. Yeah. With my kids, 
or I can shift and I can begin to live off the right side of that, that page. Yeah. The right side. And I made a very distinct choice. I will not ever go back to the left side of the page again. Yeah. That is history. And so I took the right side of the page, all those thoughts that were so beautiful, so healthy, so wonderful. And I began to re review them day after day after day after day. And literally, as scripture says, transformation comes by the renewing of your mind. Much of my anger towards my kids just went away. Yeah. All those 32 beautiful thoughts about who my kids were from God's standpoint of view. I, I just, it just replaced anger with gratitude and with empathy and with compassion and with with uh, excitement, you know, there's just so many other emotions that came when I'm thinking these beautiful thoughts. Yeah, it's incredible. Huge turning point. What so, a great exercise! I love uh, that. I think everybody should do that. Oh yeah, for yeah. in lots of different categories yeah. of our life, like your yes. marriage, your children, yes. any relationships. Yeah, it's incredible. So I I had a question for you, but I think you answered it. So I'm going to ask the question and highlight how you already answered it. Um, <laughs> You're a, you're a prophet, John. You're you're ahead of me, man. So the question was is like, so these expectations that we often have for people, yeah. Uh, you could also say it's expectation is this belief level of this view of how we see them, and, and and I think that we become addicted to that, right? It's it's almost like this addiction because it serves our selfish ends, our pride, right? There's so many things that it feeds, and so we're using it to defend ourselves or protect ourselves. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that if you look at that list, it's like, well, you know, some of these things you think about your children may have been, I'm guessing, but may have been a way to protect you or to glorify you. I, I'm actually a good guy because they're terrible and do this, right? <laughs> and we become addicted to these kind of thoughts. And so I, the question I was going to ask is how do we replace those expectations? Because we all know habits are not removed, they're replaced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and because we're creatures of habit. And so your body and your system all wants to move toward these repetitive things, especially if you're you know slightly OCD like me, right? Babe? <laughs> At any rate. Um, Russ isn't. OCD. No, and I see that. So uh, <laughs> so at any rate, yeah. Borderline all the time. Borderline. Yeah. But, but I, what I love about what you said is, is that you're replacing those expectations with being able to see others through god's eyes mm. that's really what i got out of what you just said and and when we put on that lens it transforms everything and then it allows us to start renewing our mind and then as you said that renewal changes into new feelings and those new feelings change into new behavior yes you know and that's and that's that pattern process i think people get so like fearful and frustrated like how do i change and i don't know where to start and what i do and what you're saying is like oh look this is actually easy Put on a new lens, it generates new emotions. We have new behavior sets, mm -hmm. and it's such a powerful yeah. pattern. Yeah, yep. that's yep. exactly right. And I think most people are not aware. Uh, first of all, th this whole issue of self awareness, John Maxwell talks about it in his book, 21 Irrefutable Laws. No, it's 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth, is the book that comes yeah. out. Of it. It's the law of awareness. And it says, the law of awareness simply states, you must know yourself to grow yourself. Yeah. And so I think so much of the hard work people, our lives are so busy. They're so fast paced that we don't have, we don't take the time. We don't make the time or take the time to 
do the hard work that re is is most of our most profound growth is done in solitude it's done yeah. behind closed doors where other people don't see it it's the hard work is the heart work <laughs> and um and that usually happens in solitude and so to speak to the issue of expectations i think you're absolutely right i think a lot of them I just finished a training called Letting Go. It's probably the pivot training of all of the all of the training to parents with their with their troubled teens. We have so many dreams for our kids and so many so mm -hmm. many visions of who they should be, what they should attain, all the rest. For me, that drove control that drove the anger that drove so many negative things for me that i just have come to realize there's there's a principle that we teach in parenting the difference between responsible to and responsible for yeah this was absolutely life-changing for me when i realized this because when they're younger we are responsible for them right i mean they're just figuring mm -hmm. things out we we you know when they're splashing around in the toilet, you know, because they think it's so much fun. We, we've got to intervene in those situations. <laughs> and um, Just if there's brown stuff in there. Got to intervene. Yeah. It's so important. <laughs> yeah. It, and so, we, but as they get older, we, we begin to give them more space and we begin to give them more opportunity to make decisions and to, to uh, make mistakes and to fail. Because yeah. <laughs> failure is one of our greatest teachers. Yeah. And, this principle was so revolutionary to me because I I took responsible for right into the very latter part of their high school years versus responsible to responsible to during the responsible four years I'll just say this quickly is we we teach them words are very important during those years yeah that's where you know in Deuteronomy chapter six it says you're to speak of them when you rise up, you're to speak of God's commands when you lay down, when you go out, when you come in, when you're all, it's just a lifestyle of teaching the principles and the commandments of God. Mm -hmm. As they get older, if you've done your job in the younger years, and unfortunately, you can't really say, well, I didn't do my job in the younger years, now I'm gonna lecture you all your teenage years. <laughs> you've got to begin to step back. It's not so much words, as it is modeling. Modeling. Mm -hmm. And so many parents are not integrous with between what they say and what they do. There's not, there's not integrity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kids are kids have an antenna. And so we model and we give them room to make decisions. You know, it's it's a process, of course, but then we allow the consequences of their decisions. Yeah. And we're responsible to them to be consistent, to be a model, to be that picture of the things we've taught them all those years now yeah. this is what it looks like and we're going to let you make some choices as to whether you want to apply that or not but you're yeah. also going to get the consequences when you choose both good and bad right the consequences can be wonderfully good mm -hmm. and so how does that how does that uh translate into expectation i felt so responsible for my kids spiritual life for my kids educational life for my kids athletic life for my kids musical life for and it's like when when you're taking responsible for into those years when they're becoming an adult yeah it becomes almost in, inevitably controlling behaviors 
Of course. Yeah. Goal just creates all sorts of conflict. Yeah. Mm. Especially since it's 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 an absolute guarantee. Anybody who's had parent, you know, I mean, if you've been a parent, it's an absolute guarantee they're not going to follow the quote unquote plan. You got it. <laughs> right. Like, and if you're responsible and they keep veering off the the path, then like you said, that's where the control comes in. It's like, hey, you're off the path. Like, I'm gonna force you to get back on here, right? Yeah. And and you know what one thing we know is god does not force us it's like when you were in jail god could have forced you to give up the anger but he didn't he said look i want to use you but i won't use you angry so you got to decide and he steps back and right. goes that's exactly right. your choice buddy <laughs> exactly and, right. yeah so i think that that's uh it's really really powerful what you're saying and you know when when the child is two years old and starts running out of the road yeah. yeah bodily extract them from the road i mean come mm -hmm. on right yeah. uh when they're 15 and running down a path it's like well they're kind of in jail pacing around angry and you got to go well what are you gonna do <laughs> you can't you yeah. can't live life angry and have these rewards so you gotta make a choice and you gotta let you gotta love them so i love i i love what you're saying here mm -hmm. i'll add one one thought to it and that is this when i released those expectations of our of our of all of our kids guys it's been all of them of course yeah it gave them then the freedom to love them right where they're at and and what right. i had to realize was the path that you're talking about we have this picture of what it looks like yeah it's <laughs> not that's not that's that's so not the path most of the time i mean there are principles but we're, we're and that's where where our life gets so uptight and so controlling is you're you're veering off the path my son my my 22 year old who just you know is re coming out of rehab and learning how to walk in a healthy way his path is so radically different than anything i ever would have dreamed totally and i have to believe his mess his test is literally setting him up to have a testimony and a message that is so powerful it's yeah. going to speak to so many people what i have chosen that route never <laughs> in a million years never yeah but it's not up to me i and this is one thing that we share with parents over and over and over and it's like boom their eyes block. those are not your kids yeah <laughs> right. that's right you are a steward of them god has divinely given you stewardship over those children they're his they belong to him and by the way he loves them infinitely more than you do yeah. he knows every detail of their heart every fabric he knit psalm 139 he knit them together in their mother's womb he's written a book a story their own biography he knows everything about them you can't parent that child better than he can nope. <laughs> that's right amen and well so, you know russ we have you know we have 11 children i don't know if you knew that that's fantastic but it's it's amazing to see each one of them you know we raised them all we thought we raised them all the same yeah. but each one is choosing their own separate path yeah. and it's beautiful and you know if we can see the beauty in it instead of holding on to oh you didn't turn out the way i, I wanted you to be exactly. <laughs> you know yeah. and so. and you know that turnaround conversation you're talking about i think it's awesome when parents can say like we've tried to say mm -hmm. it's like well you didn't turn out the way i expected or wanted you to be you're turning out the way god intends you to be and thank heavens i was wrong yes right absolutely 
and, exactly. and even even all the struggles and trials that your son's going through, mm -hmm. I think, you know what, you're right. God, God looks at that and his redeeming grace and his plan for people is just amazing. He knows yep. the plan and he's yep. willing to work with us on it. And we as parents get to be the cheerleaders, the support and the guides, but we don't get to be the control. But you know, it's Amen. it's amazing. Right. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah. Um so I uh Russ, I think that we should talk again because I have, I got more stuff. More questions. <laughs> and um, our time is running short. Yeah, and you have an amazing amount of wisdom. I, I wonder if there's any, you know, as we kind of wrap up, I actually want to cover two things. One is, I, I would love to hear if there's something that um, has been on your heart and mind that you wanted to share with us that you haven't, uh, you know, we haven't got to yet. And I'd love to hear that really quick. And then also, I would love to hear how how we can point people into your world right because because you've got this lifeline course you've got other resources obviously got a lot of wisdom you've got experience in spade brother yes. wow and uh <laughs> and, and i think that there's a lot of people that could benefit from that so so first of all is there any question i should ask you or that you wanted to talk about that that we haven't got to or any last thoughts you'd like to share with us not i mean this has been really wonderful guys really a wonderful dialogue and uh yeah there's i mean if we want to get down in the nitty-gritty and the weeds there's so many principles and things right. that we can talk about and uh that would be a great second conversation <laughs> the thing that uh, i'll just say this the the first lesson of the tw uh 16 weeks is called hope's anchor hope's mm -hmm. anchor Mm. Where it must our hope be anchored? Mm. And one thing that I have to immediately get centered and get, it's a ground level truth with the parents that we work with. And this is with anybody, everybody, all of us. <laughs> and that that is, if our hope that, and I mean, if you don't have hope, you're in trouble, right? I mean, yeah. our hope is going to be anchored somewhere. It's going to be attached or tethered to something or someone. Yeah. And what I share with the parents is this, and it's just straight out of the shoots. If your hope is tethered to an outcome mm. or to a resource that is not God himself, your hope is in jeopardy. Yeah. Mm, right. God is the only rock. Yeah. He's the only immovable, unchangeable, stable, reliable source for our hope. And, yeah. and when everything is dark, when everything looks impossible, when you're tethered, your hope is, is linked, anchored, chained, <laughs> super glued to God himself. You can go, you can make it through virtually anything. Anything. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that has been such a huge, I mean, it's, it's, it's really relationship with God 101. I mean, it's, it's really yeah. the entry, but it's also the, it's the exit and it's everything in between. That's right. Yeah. And so I think our whole journey on this life is really a process of learning to trust God. Yeah. And it sounds so simple and it sounds almost like, is that all you got? Yeah. I'll tell you, when you start to get that, everything changes. Everything changes. Yeah. That's right. So that's, that's, 
the final little nugget there that amen god is building that into my to my my life and so we we would echo that i mean anytime in my life when i have put my hope that someone else will change or that the, the an outcome <laughs> will happen that i want them to do yep. or you know whatever it is um you know i've been sorely and sometimes bitterly disappointed <laughs> and but conversely when you know when we have put our hope in god and our trust in him we've never been disappointed Mm. and we've not always liked the outcome i want to state that right, right now like <laughs> like because you know i love the quote and we've kind of inferred to it but that quote from c.s lewis where it's like and i'm paraphrasing but he says you know god comes to us and says he's going to help fix up our cottage <laughs> and so at first he starts you know fixing the plumbing and changing a few walls here and there and we thought oh that needed to be fixed anyway that's nice thank you god that's great yeah. and then all of a sudden he brings in a wrecking ball <laughs> and it's like dang that hurts it's like, yeah. well, he's not to fix it to make you a cottage he's fixing to make you a mansion a huge castle and i love that i've never heard that that's a great oh, i'll send you the actual quote yes, i'll send you the actual yeah. quote it's beautiful and 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 it's really the way it is and so when we i love your point about letting go because when we let go we're simultaneously letting go and we're anchoring ourselves to hope but we're anchoring it to a place that actually can do something um i i had an atheist i'll, I'll talk too much but I have a friend who's an atheist, good, you know, decent guy, and I'm good friends with him. And he just can't wrap his head around the concept of God, for which I think I think requires way more faith than believing in God. But that's a whole separate topic. So I'm not, not going to go there. But I once said to him, I said, "Look, I got an IT guy that lives up in Canada. I've never met him. I've seen a picture of him. I've never touched him, and yet he does stuff for me that I can't do for myself, right? And, and and I said, and I just said to me, that is an analogy of God, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's he's never physically walked in the door and sat down and chilled with us, mm -hmm. um, and and but I but I know he's there, and I've seen the work that he does in my life, mm -hmm. and it never fails, yep. ever. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's um, it's an important lesson for parents to learn because we think we have to control it. I've had lots of coaches in my life as well. One of my coaches once said, I said, I think I just totally ruined this. And they said, let me just tell you, you're not powerful enough to destroy God's plan right. for you. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's some good wisdom right there. He, he actually is. Yeah. He's actually stronger than you are. Sorry. <laughs> so, so, Russ, thank you. This has been an incredible conversation. I, I can't thank you enough. Margie and I, uh, I just felt such a strong spirit about where you're at, what you're doing, the good you're doing. So tell us a little bit more about um, your your program, the, the life, um, uh, Lifeline. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and how do we what kind of... How do we access it? We'll, we'll share I'll a link. You, uh, I'll give you a link. That yeah, you can give us a link yeah. later on. But gateway into it, yeah. Tell people um, a little bit about it real quick. Lifeline is for parents who just, uh, they're navigating this journey, trying to, with kids who are, are wreaking havoc in their home. Yeah. And it's chaotic. They don't know what to do. I mean, teens are intensely strong-willed. It's just incredible. <laughs> um, how how frustrating they can be and there's usually a lot of anger a lot of hopelessness a lot of despair a lot of lack of sleep uh missing of work i mean it's a mess everything we're yeah. dealing with and it's almost the same right across the board 
And so when I start working with them, that's where they're at. They come in just, what do we do? Yeah. And um, we walk them through 16 weeks where they walk from just complete, you know, big eyes like I don't have a clue to to the words that I use are calm and confident and with a plan. Yeah. And and it's incredible because that is not an overstatement. There's there's a calm, there's a confidence because there's a direction. And and uh, if, if folks are married because we work, work with a lot of single parents also, but if they're married, they're united. Um, at least working towards that. I mean, it's not a magical right, right. formula, 16 uh-huh. weeks and everything's fixed, but if there, there's movement towards, uh, I have a direction. I have the ability now to bring peace back to the home. Yeah. And, um, and to provide an environment that is healthy and whole where people can heal if they choose to be there, yeah. um, which is, which is a big, you know, a part of that is boundaries and consequences. Some the choices. I, I don't want to live under this. That's uh, right. So that sixteen weeks is is lifeline course. Um, I I choose to do it as a group experience, not as an individual experience. Primarily, there is that option. It's it's more expensive because yeah. it's the group. There is something about walking through this this intense valley. Most parents are dealing with drug addicted kids or or substance abuse or whatever. They're embarrassed. Yeah. They they don't want to tell anybody about it. They're living in isolation, secrecy. And when you bring this into a community and you see other people are battling through it as well, there is an intense healing that goes on yeah. and the support. So I love to go through these principles and walk these walk families through it together with a minimum. I try to have at least a minimum of three families. Uh, it is miraculous what happens. Uh, just the ministry that they give to one another and the support yeah. and, and all that happens there. So it's a group coaching experience walking from essentially overwhelm and hopelessness to calm and confident with a plan. Mm. And it's, it is uh, our own experience. That's how we live. That's we were where the parents typically yeah. are, and and we've walked through, and and we are calm and confident and and united, and we have a distinct plan on paper that we follow to the detail, and uh, it has brought peace and stability and joy back to our home. Mm. I love it. Yeah. So cool. Well, great that you facilitate that for people that growth. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And we strongly, if you're, if you're in a situation in life, but for all of our listeners now, if you're in a situation where you're wrestling with that and, and it doesn't have to be about drug addiction, it has, it's all about the chaos and the conflict right. and the, and the, you know, the budding heads. And it's about you as a parent feeling like you've got to control this path. And finding the skills and the tools to let go so that you can facilitate and enable positive growth for your children so they become who they are meant to be. Yeah. And so if you're in that situation, I, I strongly encourage you to check out Russ's program. It sounds absolutely incredible. Margie and I are gonna find way more about it, but you're obviously it's just had so many positive benefits for you and Heather and for these other families you've worked with. So Again, Russ, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. I'll give you the link to that, you guys. Yes, please share that with us. It's very simple. It's simply discovery, the word discovery, catalyst coaching, HQ, as in headquarters, catalyst 
discovery.catalystcoachinghq.com. And that will That's easy. Uh, take you right to an, uh, an overview of my whole course. Okay. It's, it's an overview of all 16 weeks, the three phases, three stages of the course, and then give an opportunity for a parent to schedule a discovery call. At, there's no charge for that. Just to talk, find out where you're at, uh, where you want to go and what we need yeah. to get there. Perfect. That's okay. awesome. What a yeah. great resource. Even that initial conversation, I'm sure will be hugely valuable to people. Yeah. So mm -hmm. awesome. All right. thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. And God bless you and your ministry and your work and all that you're doing for thank families. You. We just, uh, we, we're cheering you on with all of our heart and soul, buddy. <laughs> so thank you. Appreciate guys, it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank right. you. Maybe we'll bounce into each other in Arkansas and look forward to the next conversation, by the way. Absolutely. We're gonna, we'll, right. we'll book a follow-up. This has been good. Let's There's more to talk it. about. So Very good. thank you. Yeah. Take care. Bye Thanks, now. Bye-bye.